0: I don't think any of us thought that Tucker Carlson was just going to go to Twitter and post it or X now and post videos there for the very simple reason that that is a hard business to monetize. Welcome to the powers that be
1: daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley and Hollywood and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, December 14th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers, who has the latest on the newest fire-breathing media company on the right, the Tucker Carlson Network. Yes, Tucker has launched his own direct-to-consumer media business, and Dylan has some thoughts on how it will stack up in the already crowded conservative media universe. We also examine the New York Times and their obsessive coverage of Ivy League universities as campuses grapple with questions of free speech and anti-Semitism. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ains. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of the cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. It's media thursday because whichever day dylan byers uh lowers himself to join me on a recording of this <laughs> podcast it is media that day dylan how you doing buddy
0: peter i'm doing great i'm doing great i'm uh i'm fully just enmeshed in the holiday spirit and uh i've i've found i've found a way to strike the like the work-life balance to to decorate the tree while texting sources and so i'm, I'm feeling very good.
1: Okay, I will not repeat what I said on a recent podcast, which is that we all kind of wind down for the holidays because that's not what John Kelly wants to. No, hear. we
0: wind up. We <laughs> we get lit.
1: I hope everyone has checked out Puck's 2023 guide to mirth and merriment. Speaking of the holidays, I've got some gift ideas on there. Dylan's got a few gift ideas on there, uh, including this Brunello Cucinelli reversible cashmere blazer. It looks fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> which side do you wear more the navy or this looks like a gray kind of houndstooth uh,
0: situation yeah it, it's a it's a seasonal thing it's a seasonal you okay. know uh, there was the a, a a long time ago i will not say who it was but a long time ago when i was an intern at the new yorker uh, in short pants as john likes to say there was an editor there who <laughs> wore all black from the end of summer which one comes labor day all the way through all nine months of the year, and then for the summer, uh, would wear all white, and at like a religion, that was it. And so, I, you know, the advantage of any reversible coat is it allows you to, to achieve that with the same garment.
1: Uh, they need to Brunello Cucinelli needs to develop a reversible seersucker for the old timers in D.C. who insist on wearing seersucker only in August in Washington, uh, <laughs> and the rest of the year they can wear navy or whatever. Boring color palette. They prefer. Um, also, before we get into what we're talking about, which is Tucker Carlson, Fox News, and the New York Times being completely obsessed with the Ivy League, uh, please, everyone, go check out the the Mirth and Merriment Guide uh, because Dylan has a long-awaited, for me at least, uh, holiday cocktail recipe that looks amazing. I'm literally searching where I can buy. Brucado, Chapparal, Amaro. Right now uh, on the internet, uh, I can't wait to make this by the fireplace. <laughs>
0: I, I don't. I don't want to test our listeners' tolerance for uh, talking about things other than what we are here to be talking about. But I will say, if you can find yourself a bottle of that, it has been the sort of revelation of the year for me. Are these uh, these folks up in San Francisco who are making making these Amaros? They're very good.
1: All right, I can't wait to sip on it, Dylan. We know that Tucker Carlson left Fox News. We know that Tucker Carlson has a show on Twitter. I think we can all agree that seems like he's probably not making a lot of money off of that unless Elon Musk just wrote him a check or something. Um, But at long last, it sounds like Tucker Carlson has finally launched his own media company, direct-to-consumer media company, called, drumroll, Tucker Carlson Network. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What's the story here?
0: Yes, TCN, not to be confused with Turner Classic Movies. The story here, I mean, look, we, I think we've talked about this in the past. About six months ago, I broke the news that he was raising money to launch a venture just like this. And the reason you do that is I don't think any of us thought that Tucker Carlson was just going to go to Twitter and post vid- or, or X now and post videos there for the very simple reason that that is a hard business to monetize or to at least monetize as effectively as you might if you are the sort of marquee name and outsized personality that Tucker Carlson is. So he raised $15 million along with his business partner, Neil Patel, who uh, you might remember was his business partner when they launched The Daily Caller, uh, however many decades ago. And look, what he is doing is not, at least on the surface, not totally dissimilar from what other members of the Fox News diaspora have done, right? You look at Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Megyn Kelly, they all leave uh, Fox News usually not of their own volition. And then for lack of any better options, it seems they they sort of strike out on their own and start a media business. And what you can do with a media business like this, thanks to this sort of direct-to-consumer, you know, this sort of wild west of the digital landscape, is if you have a name and you've you've got a following uh, especially a hyper sort of politicized following uh, like these folks do then you can actually build a sustainable or even profitable business however what you what what no one has been able to do is to achieve anything close to the level of impact or influence that they had on cable news and i think what what interests me about this look if anyone can sort of do it it, it would ostensibly be tucker carlson i mean after all this is a guy who who at times felt even bigger than donald trump who you know people thought is he going to run for president well at fox news he was far and away the most watched uh, figure in in cable news primetime and so you think okay well maybe maybe This guy can figure it out, and especially maybe now because, you know, he's not going up against a Goliath anymore, right? Like Fox News, all of cable news is in decline. It's the symptom of the, the broader decline of linear television, and... You know, I've got some statistics in my piece this week that Fox News, you know, its total day audience for the year is down something like 18% in the in the 25 to 54 demo. It's down, I believe, 34, 35%. These are the same down declines that the cable news industry is facing generally, but it's particularly stark at Fox. And so you would think, well, okay, if one medium is sort of dying this long slow terminal death then maybe now would be the time for someone like Tucker Carlson to assert themselves and start something new but that sort of highlights the great problem of this era for you know the the sort of cable news stars or television news stars who are branching out on their own which is that no one has really cracked the code on figuring out how to maintain that level of influence maintain that level of scale in this new digital media landscape and so what you actually have because everything is sort of so balkanized and nichified is you actually have these people going out and starting things where that seem relatively small by comparison and that's very that's not just true for sort of right-wing fox news stars like glenn becks and and tucker carlson's it's true even for someone like say katie couric Right, who mm-hmm. who you know, Katie Couric was like the TV star, TV news star of the '90s, and now is sort of running this newsletter business. That you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how it's doing. Maybe it's doing fine, but in any event, no one thinks about Katie Couric the same way that they used to, right? I mean, even like the Kardashians tried to launch their own you know subscription service through apps, and they had to shutter that because it turns out no matter how many people are willing to watch the Kardashians via legacy media, they're not willing to sort of pay for it through a standalone app. And the lesson, and then I'll shut up here, but the, the sort of lesson you can take away from that is that for all of the talk of the creator economy and DTC and people being able to sort of build businesses around themselves, it's also true that one of the great insights that someone like, say, Roger Ailes had was that you actually needed a team of stars, you needed a team of people Mm -hmm. working in the service of a larger brand to really have influence and impact at a mass market scale. And so we are at this very interesting moment, I think, when marquee stars who, who have left cable news don't exactly know what to do with themselves. And if it's hard enough for a hyper-political animal like Tucker Carlson with a rabid following, then it's going to be especially hard for the likes of Brian Williams or Don Lemon or anyone who who follows in their footsteps to sort of figure out what life looks like in the post-linear landscape.
1: You mentioned The Daily Wire in your piece as an example of a a really healthy media company, actually, just in terms of the business and being distributed and, and building out a team of personalities that people want um, Tina Wynn our colleague has written about their success as well Tucker you know famously started the Daily Caller created a newsroom news and quotes in some cases might it be possible here that this won't just be Tucker direct to consumer but that he will go after a fleet of stars and, and in the same way sort of that Glenn Becks the network the blaze did, they had a bunch of people like Tommy Laren being one of the most famous ones, even though she left. Um, but the Daily Wire has, you know, Candace Owens over there and Matt Walsh, right. you know, and Candace and, and uh, Ben Shapiro have had some friction lately, actually. That's pretty interesting. Um, do you think he's trying, he'll, he'll try to hire a bunch of different people to be part of the network?
0: That, you know, that's a really good question. And I don't know well enough if... I don't know if that's how they see it or if this is just sort of an ego play mm. and Tucker sort of sort of has an outsized sense of what he's able to achieve on, on his own. I would say that whether you are talking about, you know, all of these businesses, even when you're talking about the Daily Wire, which, yes, is sort of doing the most in terms of trying to mimic a, a more conventional media company with sort of like multi-show, multi-channel, multi-personality, what have you. Even then, we're still talking about something of relatively small influence when weighed against the stature of what Fox News has been for the last decade or two. And you raise a very good question. What do you need to do in order to sort of get bigger than this very, you know, stand out in this very crowded field? And do you need to be acquisitive? And do you need to, does someone need to come in here and say, okay, there's... Ben Shapiro and there's Tucker Carlson and there's Glenn Beck and there's Barry Weiss and there's the Ballwork and yes, these represent a lot of different sides of the so-called right, the spectrum on the right from, from the sort of moderate to the extreme. Mm-hmm. But is there some way to sort of roll these up into something that could be sort of a, a more powerful force and become sort of like the Fox News for in a sort of post-Murdoch world? And that that's actually a very good question and, and one I think that's worthy of greater exploration.
1: Still, when we come back. I want to talk to you about the New York Times and their obsessive coverage of Ivy League schools. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The evening standard raves, the gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are 2-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed So sign up and save, head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to the powers that be everybody. I'm talking media today with Dylan Byers. If you uh, subscribe to In the Room, his most recent edition has a bunch of news and notes, uh, stuff about Bully Pulpit International, stuff about Jeff Zucker's Telegraph bid, um, some notes about some of the famous people who contributed to the aforementioned Puck Guide to Mirth and Merriment. Um, Dylan, you write about something that I (laughs) find both fascinating and really fucking annoying, uh, which is that, (laughs) and also I should say predictable, which is that the New York Times is just going all in on covering the presidents of Harvard, Penn, MIT. All three testified in front of the House recently. Penn, President Liz McGill resigned. Uh, basically, all of, all of these presidents were just so up their own ass defending their sort of student code of conduct that they were, no pun intended, far too academic when defending the right of students to free speech, and we're not able to just come out and say, yeah, calling for the genocide of Jews on campus is probably bad. McGill resigned. Claudine Gay at Harvard is still there. I should mention I'm on the board at the Shorenstein Center at the Kennedy School. Um, That is my relationship there. But I gleefully retweeted journalist and professor Bill Griskin this week, who tweeted a screenshot of the New York Times homepage that included one, two, three. Four, five, I think, stories focused on the Ivy League. All, like, literally, not this is not A1 of the paper. This is the homepage of the website, which, you know, doesn't necessarily determine traffic, but, you know, it does determine editorial sensibilities. The Times is swarming this this story, and Bill tweeted, maybe the Times needs to recruit more editors who graduated from land-grant universities. <laughs> um, look, the, the preoccupations of the New York Times are obviously geared... Maybe originally toward New Yorkers, also college-educated, probably people on the left, and importantly, subscribers um, and people who are slightly on the left and willing to pay for news are probably paying for the New York Times, Um, and many of them probably went to the Ivy League or would like to send their kids to the Ivy League. Do you think the coverage is too much from the Times on this story?
0: Well, look, so I, I'm quite aware of that criticism. I'm familiar with, with the aforementioned tweets, and certainly some folks reached out to me with some of those same screenshots, and were like, "What? what is going on? Like, how is The Times turning this global, you know, foreign affairs story into, like, a what does this mean for the Ivy League? And I get it. I get the criticism. But I also <laughs> must say... I must say, you know, I, I note uh in my email that, that this is this story is sort of catnip for your like archetypal, you know, tote bag carrying time subscriber and at the risk of earning some enemies, like count me in because this story to me is so Fascinating, and for the very reason, so I, I reached out to Joe Kahn, the executive editor, just to get his take. Like, what is the thesis behind investing so much in this particular story? Because they have they've they've dedicated. I, I count at least a dozen bylines across these stories. Um, uh, several reporters have been sort of reassigned to focus on this. And then, as Bill Gruskin noted, the the coverage on the homepage was like Zucker era CNN flood the zone. And what what Joe said was like, uh, I'll just read part of his quote here. He said, look, it's not every day um, that we have a story involving free speech and safety, student life and national politics, educators and big donors, foreign affairs and domestic passions, all playing out at a few of our leading universities. So yes, we have involved some of the best reporters on education, politics, business, international affairs, and in our DC bureau to explore all angles. And I get the criticism, but I also must say that, like, I like this story. I've been reading this and listening to this. Uh, Nick Confessori did something on The Daily recently, voraciously. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I think since, like, my undergrad days when I learned about the Dreyfus Affair uh, in France, (laughs) like, I have just been fascinated by these sort of moments in history that divide that become sort of these contentious debates that have a way of realigning political affiliation and political allegiances mm-hmm. that challenge the status quo. I mean, one feature of Trump era politics is that you are so comfortable on your side, right? And and there's an there's an orthodox MSNBC position and an orthodox Fox position, you either hate Trump or you love Trump, and most of the time people get together and just reaffirm their shared beliefs. And there's nothing good or pretty about the tensions happening in the world right now, but all of the gray area and the nuance surrounding the Israel-Palestine situation and then this sort of anti-Semitism versus free speech debate that's happening here, to me, is forcing some very uncomfortable but very important and and I would say stimulating conversations. So Count me in the minority, perhaps, but I, I sort of like just how aggressively The Times is covering this story. J'accuse you of being <laughs> the minority <laughs> to cite l'affaire très uh, um,
1: <laughs> No, no, I mean, despite my rag chewing at the beginning of this segment, I I agree that it's an incredibly interesting story with so many different threads to be pulled that, you know, it, it's sort of like, I'm trying to think of a modern example, the Kavanaugh hearings those like, drove people into corners, but they also, I don't know, I think they, they like challenge a lot of people's preconceived notions and <laughs> force people to take uncomfortable positions. Uh, and you know, maybe this is scrambling people's political expectations even more That the fights over free speech on campus. Um, I, saw, I saw a poll the other day that I think a quarter of Gen Z uh, said in this poll that uh, they think the Holocaust is a myth I mean, right. the 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 Gen Z campus angle to this, and I, I was writing about this from the beginning. Ever since the Hamas attacks on October seventh, it's really it's tearing people apart and, and fraying friendships because people's political preconceptions are running headlong into you know the purest form of identity. Um, right. And, you know, I know I know people who have lost friends over this. Um, so look, I think the Times is—it's worth—it's absolutely worth covering this. I think they cover the IVD a little too much, you know, in general. But this story is at the cross section of politics, culture, war, race, identity, gender. I mean, it's got everything. And it should also be said, just because the Times has four stories about this topic on the homepage, it doesn't mean they're not also covering <laughs> other things. So yes. you know, they—they they can no, walk and chew gum and- at the same time.
0: That's right and and doing so quite well. But look, we we shouldn't dismiss like the the Ivy League point and and again, it's not exactly that it's it's one in the media's fault that this became an Ivy League story. That was probably like Congress's fault but you know, when they decided <laughs> that they were going to summon the leaders of Harvard and Penn and and MIT. But yeah, look, does Joe Kahn Harvard alum? like get a little bit more excited about this story because like he he's he's walked the yard and he knows a lot of the people and y- is there a more intimate relationship <laughs> there? Yes, of course. And but by the same token, we know a lot more about the New York Yankees from reading the Times than we know about any of the other major league baseball teams. So, that is just part and parcel of the of the news business and it it affords us the liberty of talking about cocktails at the top of the podcast but um (laughs) but again i just i i love this i love this story and i think i actually think the times is doing a very uh a very good job on it so don't don't at me uh bill griskin or anyone else but uh (laughs) but yeah pro times on this one
1: yeah i mean the going back to the kingdom and the power the gate to Least book about the times the ivy league to new york times pipeline has always been there doesn't think it's i don't think it's gonna change anytime soon but you know if i hire a few more public school grads uh <laughs> that might be helpful um dylan thanks buddy i can't wait for this tomorrow to show up at my house
0: thank you peter
1: thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy and Ben Landy,
0: executive editor at Puck.